0: Letter forty-three of Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume Eight, by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty-three. Mister Belford to Robert Lovelace Esquire, Thursday, eleven o'clock, August thirty-first. I am just come from the lady whom I left cheerful and serene. She thanked me for my communication of the preceding night. I read to her such parts of your letters as I could read to her, and I thought it was a good test to distinguish the froth and whip syllabum in them from the cream, in what one could and could not read to a woman of so fine a mind, since four parts out of six of thy letters, which I thought entertaining as I read them to myself, appeared to me, when I should have read them to her, most abominable stuff, and gave me a very contemptible idea of thy talents, and of my own judgment.' she as far from rejoicing as i had done at the disappointment her letter gave you when explained she said she meant only an innocent allegory which might carry instruction and warning to you when the meaning was taken as well as answer her own hopes for the time it was run off in a hurry she was afraid it was not quite right in her but hoped the end would excuse if it could not justify the means and then she again expressed a good deal of apprehension lest you should still take it into your head to molest her when her time she said was so short that she wanted every moment of it, repeating what she had once said before that, when she wrote, she was so ill that she believed she should not have lived till now. If she had thought she should, she must have studied for an expedient that would have better answered her intentions, hinting at her removal out of the knowledge of us both. But she was much pleased at the conference between you and Colonel Morden, after two or three such violent sallies as I acquainted her you had had between you, ended so amicably and said she must absolutely depend upon the promise I had given her, to use my utmost endeavours to prevent further mischief on her account. She was pleased with the justice you did her character to her cousin. She was glad to hear that he had so kind an opinion of her, and that he would write to her. I was under an unnecessary concern how to break to her that I had the copy of Brand's vile letter. Unnecessary, I say, for she took it just as you thought she would, as an excuse she wished to have for the implacableness of her friends, and begged I would let her read it herself, for said she the contents cannot disturb me be they what they will i gave it to her and she read it to herself a tear now and then being ready to start and a sigh sometimes interposing she gave me back the letter with great and surprising calmness considering the subject there was a time said she and that not long since when such a letter as this would have greatly pained me but i hope i have now got above all these things and i can refer to your kind offices and to those of miss howe the justice that will be done to my memory among my friends there is a good and a bad light in which everything that befalls us may be taken if the human mind will busy itself to make the worst of every disagreeable occurrence it will never want woe this letter affecting as the subject of it is to my reputation gives me more pleasure than pain because i can gather from it that had not my friends been prepossessed by misinformed or rash and officious persons who are always at hand to flatter or soothe the passions of the affluent they could not have been so immovably determined against me but now they are sufficiently cleared from every imputation of unforgivingness for while i appeared to them in the character of a vile hypocrite pretending to true penitence yet giving up myself to profligate courses how could i expect either their pardon or blessing but madam said i you'll see by the date of this letter that their severity previous to that cannot be excused by it it imports me much replied she on account of my present wishes as to the office you are so kind to undertake that you should not think harshly of my friends i must own to you that i have been apt sometimes myself to think them not only severe but cruel suffering minds will be partial to their own cause and merits knowing their own hearts if sincere they are apt to murmur when harshly treated but if they are not believed to be innocent by persons who have a right to decide upon their conduct according to their own judgments how can it be helped besides sir how do you know that they are not about my friends as well-meaning misrepresenters as mr brand really seems to be but be this as it will "'There is no doubt that there are and have been "'multitudes of persons as innocent as myself "'who have suffered upon surmises as little probable "'as those on which Mr. Brown founds his judgment. "'Your intimacy, sir, with Mr. Lovelace, "'and, may I say, a character which it seems "'you have been less solicitous formally to justify "'than perhaps you will be for the future, "'and your frequent visits to me may well be thought "'to be questionable circumstances in my conduct. "'I could only admire her in silence. "'But you see, sir,' proceeded she, how necessary it is for young people of our sex to be careful of our company, and how much at the same time it behoves young persons of yours to be chary of their own reputation, were it only for the sake of such of ours as they may mean honourably by, and who otherwise may suffer in their good names for being seen in their company. As to Mr. Brown continued she, he is to be pitied, and let me enjoin you, Mr. Belford, not to take any resentments against him which may be detrimental either to his person or his fortunes. Let his function and his good meaning plead for him. He will have concern enough when he finds everybody whose displeasure I now labour under acquitting my memory of perverse guilt, and joining in a general pity for me. This loveless is the woman whose life thou hast curtailed in the blossom of it. How many opportunities must thou have had of admiring her inestimable worth! Yet couldst have thy senses so much absorbed in the woman, in her charming person, as to be blind to the angel that shines out in such full glory in her mind, Indeed, I have ever thought myself, when blessed with her conversation, in the company of a real angel, and I am sure it would be impossible for me, were she to be as beautiful and as crimsoned over with health as I have seen her, to have the least thought of sex when I heard her talk. Thursday, three o'clock, August thirty-first. On my revisit to the lady I found her almost as much a sufferer from joy as she had sometimes been from grief, for she had just received a very kind letter from her cousin Morden, which she was so good as to communicate to me as she had already begun to answer it, I begged leave to attend her in the evening, that I might not interrupt her in it. The letter is a very tender one, but, alas, all will be now too late, for the decree is certainly gone out. The world is unworthy of her. End of letter 43